Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review. Joining me as usual is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you uh, going to remember the Luke Weaver era of Kansas City? The what era? Luke Weaver. Do you remember yeah. that he pitched for the Royals this year? I, I'm telling you, like, yes, I, I remember Luke Weaver pitched for the, the Royals, but, like, over the last, like, three or four years, really, since, you know, 2018, I guess it is, there's all sorts of players on – like the Royals, like Fangraphs page, and I'm like, I have no memory of this happening. Um, so I suspect <laughs> Luke Weaver was going to be one of those guys in a few years. That, that could be like a uh, an article coming up, like the guys you probably forgot about. Uh, I remember, I think you wrote about some of the guys from the 2015 yeah. team, like Wilking Rodriguez or something like that. Was like a name that stood out that I don't really remember very well. Uh, yeah, I imagine Luke Weaver is someone you'll, you'll forget <laughs> ever played for the Royals. Also joining us is Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, uh, yeah, not only is, is at the end of the Luke Weaver era, he was claimed off waivers today by the Seattle Mariners, but Tyler Zuber, another Royal who uh, will probably not be remembered five years from now, also gone. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the end of the Tyler Zuber era or the end of the Luke Weaver era? Uh, I think... I just want to make a prediction. I think that uh, that whether the Royals remember either of them, whether fans remember either of them or not, Tyler Zuber, I think, is going to end up having probably the better career. I think that he'll go somewhere else, get some better coaching, and uh, he'll finally be able to harness that stuff he had. Because when it was on, it was filthy, and it was it was fun to watch. I'll, I'm actually going to miss him a little bit. Yeah, he did miss bats. He just couldn't throw strikes on a very consistent basis. I was going to say, I thought he might uh, be last in the Royals' register of names alphabetically, but I forgot the Royals had Paul Zuvella, who did not bat, but did appear in two games for the Royals in 1991. Uh, so that Zuber would be second to last, I guess. Uh, I did want to, like, the, the Weaver trade is really weird uh, in that they made the trade two months ago. And I mean, good on the Royals for kind of cutting bait after he looked, he didn't look good in his two months with the Royals, but kind of odd they made the trade in the first place. And, and I don't know, Matthew, do you think, it makes me kind of think Dayton Moore was behind the Luke Weaver trade and JJ Bacola is behind this because it's not too often you see a, a team believe in a guy and make a trade, not a big trade, but a trade that wasn't uh, totally insignificant. Uh, and then two months later to say, yeah, we're going to let him go for nothing. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it seems like the type of thing that you do if you're trying to save your job to get like flip somebody and get like a really great, you know, player out of it. Um, But it it backfired. But, you know, um, one of the criticisms of Dayton Moore really is, you know, um, he he stuck with his guys too long with that. What that means is that he he was slow to realize like a cost like Weaver's a sunk cost, really. Um, and Piccolo realized that and he moved on. And I, th- I think that's that's a really good, smart decision. Um, and as far as Tyler Zuber, I've never really had that big of a... Um, I've, I've never really held him in very high regard. Um, so I, I, I'm not very surprised that, that he's gone. He's, he's kind of like Greg Holland without the Greg Holland strikeout stuff. So <laughs> not, not that great. Watch them both end up with the Tampa Bay Rays ending and becoming all-stars. So that would be just our luck. Uh, well, one name that is going to stay stick around for a while is Vinny Pascantino. Um, and I did want to talk about him a little bit because I, I know Jeremy wrote about him this last weekend. And, you know, I feel like, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. was kind of the, the rookie, maybe the mainstream fans and media were talking about the most. But Vinny was and Vinny was maybe the the alt choice a little bit just because he's a big dude. He's a 
who is a three three, three true outcomes player. Um, but, you know, he's a, he showed a lot his rookie year, I think. Jeremy, you wrote about his rookie season. Uh, what did you think, think about his debut season and what kind of stood out to you? Um, the, I mean, the first thing that just, just jumps off of the, the page when you look him up on fan graphs or baseball reference or wherever you want to look him up is that he had more walks than strikeouts this year in the big leagues. That is, that is hard to do. That is nearly impossible to do, even in a small sample size, even, you know, I think he only played about half the year. Even then, it's really hard to walk more often than you strike out. And that is, I think, hugely telling of Vinny Pasquantino. I think it's it's a huge sign pointing to a bright future for him. Um, in addition to that, uh, he's also got some really great exit velocity numbers. I know the power uh, was not quite what people were thinking, were hoping for uh, out of a first base DH prospect. Uh, but when I watch him swing... I can't help but think of Jim Tomei. Uh, Jim Tomei is, is his comp for me, just based on the swing. Uh, and I, I did find it a little interesting that um, while Jim Tomei did get promoted much earlier uh, in his in his life, I think he was 21 when he made his major league debut, he didn't really actually break out until he was 24. Um, and so while Pasquantino doesn't have the power numbers and he's been, he's obviously doesn't have the prospect pedigree, hasn't been around for as long. Uh, the fact that he was really good at age 24, which is pretty young for the big leagues, uh, Bobby Witts, notwithstanding a lot of the Royals prospects in the last few years that have made the big leagues have been 26, 27 guys that are like, are we sure this guy is really a prospect anymore? And then they come up and, you know, you get a Whit Merrifield who's good for a couple of years. And then, you know, he turns 30 and he turns into a pumpkin. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really have high hopes that Vinny Pasquantino is, is going to turn that swing into something with those exit velocities. And, and he won't be exactly like Jim Tomei because for one thing, Jim Tomei struck out twice as often as he walked. Uh, but I, I have high hopes that he can reach uh, something approaching that threshold. Yeah, I, I, I was a big Vinny, Vinny, you know, on the bandwagon early as well. I know, uh, you know, Alex Duvall at Royals Farm Report is probably, uh, you know, leading that bandwagon. Uh, but I think I was still a little reserved just because I, I feel like I've been burned by Royal sluggers who put up good numbers in the minors before. You know, I believed a lot in Ryan Sheely. I believed a lot in Kila Kahui. Uh, so, you know, I was a little dubious that I was like, well, will this translate to higher levels, especially the walk to strikeout thing? Cause that's something he, he was kind of notorious for in the minors is that uh, he didn't strike out much at all. And I'm like, well, that's all well and good against, you know, former high school pitchers in a ball, but let's see what you can do against, you know, Cleveland pitcher, Shane Bieber or Jose Barrios or some of the top guys in the league. And yet you're right. He, he continued to walk more than he struck out, which is amazing in this you know day and age. And it, it, it's it, in this day and age, it's it's nice to have a guy that kind of zigs while other teams and other players zag. Like everyone's swinging for the fences, everyone's ha- you know giving up contact in the name of power. And here's a guy who's like a unicorn who not only does walk, or not only does hit for power, but doesn't really strike out. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be a huge advantage or anything, but but it's certainly going to be uh, makes him an interesting player and adds a different wrinkle. Uh, Matthew, what uh, what kind of stuck out to you from Vinny's uh, debut season, and what what do you kind of expect from him going forward? 
Uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of potential outcomes for, for Vinny Pasquantino. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Rashley and, and Keela, um, but what, what, one of the reasons why I was really high on, on Vinny um, before the season, um, and I wrote about him, um, I, I interviewed him, and I wrote about him in uh, uh, January, I think the piece published in January, where he told me um, where he got his name um, which, uh, spoiler alert, is not, not very interesting. But I had to ask because Vinny Pasquantino, you know, most Italian name of all time. Um, but, I, you know, the plate discipline thing is, is one of the things that if you exhibit it in the minor leagues and you have the power to sort of, you know, back it up, um, is one of the things that translates very well to the major leagues. Um, and I think that's really what set him apart from a guy like Ryan O'Hearn, who, you know, did well in the minor leagues. It's from Ryan Sheely, you know, looking at Ryan Sheely's numbers, he always, you know, he walked a decent amount, but he didn't, you know, walk more than he struck out. Uh, same thing with Keela. Keela walked a lot, but, um, you know, Keela maybe is the closest comp to Vinny, I think. Um, Cause Keela did walk a lot and, um, you know, he didn't strike out much but it's even more impressive than uh what Vinny's doing today right when the average strikeout is like 23 24 25 percent right um that's just the average strikeout rate um so i i hope that Vinny can be like a you know maybe jim told me or, or i think joey Votto. i think is you know his absolute peak like thing and joey Votto is like probably a hall of famer right like he is the poster child for plate discipline um but you know if you're looking to a guy that like he could be that i think joey Votto uh, is it maybe you know not quite as good as joey Votto, but th- that would be such a great outcome from the for the royals to have um is is a joey Votto type of player but here's the thing is even if he's like Vinny is never gets any better and, and is basically what he is right now, which is basically like peak Billy Butler. That's still super valuable. Like if you look at the Royal seasons recently, there aren't a lot of guys who have hit 30% better than league average um, per either OPS plus or WRC WRCS plus, whatever your, your WRC plus, there we go. Whatever your choice of, of stat is, uh, your adjusted choice of stat. 30, he, 37% is, is very good. You know, 37% of league average, a 137. Is, that would be, you'd take that. If you get, he gave you that every year, you'd take that easily. So I think Vinny is the kind of guy who you, you maybe dream on that, like, adds some power. And then he's like, oh, maybe, you know, a 150, 160 kind of uh, WRC plus guy. That's what you hope for. But even... And if he never gets any better, I think he's going to be super valuable. And even more than that, he's going to be, you know, a, a fan favorite for years to come, which is always fun to see. And the Rose just haven't really had a guy like that in a long time who just like breaks into the big leagues, immediately starts hitting, basically lives up to all the expectations. And especially Vinny was like, you know, an 11th round pick. It's not like he's, you know, a Bobby Witt type or even a Kyle Isbell type, you know, a third rounder. Like Vinny came from, you know, way, way down there. So, um, you know, really really good on the Royal scouting department and on their hitting development to sort of keep the trajectory um, upwards uh, to where he is now. Yeah. In his rookie year, he already had the on-base percentage of Andrew Benintendi with the slugging percentage of Salvador Perez 
I mean, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> if that's his, if that's his ceiling already, I mean, I'll take that. But I, yeah, I would expect him to probably improve a little bit. Like, like Jeremy pointed out, I mean, his his, his actually his ISO is not that not super great because he you know he wasn't hitting a ton of home runs. I think he had a little bit of an issue pounding the ball into the ground at first. That seems like something he kind of corrected over time. So you know, it seems like he's a guy that can make adjustments. And and you know, I don't like to put too much on intangibles, but he does seem like a guy that is a clubhouse leader, is a guy that players just gravitate towards already has a great you know personality i think the marketing team has already picked up on that using him in a couple uh you know funny uh videos online and in ads i think he's going to be a fan favorite just because of his personality but also i think a guy in the clubhouse that other guys like as well so uh, it, it's great you need a guy like that kind of a, st- a straw that stirs the drink a little bit uh someone that gets other players going so you know the Royals do have him for the next six years before he hits free agency already. Um, I know that David Lesky a couple weeks ago, who who's going to be on in the uh, program a little bit later, um, he wrote recently about Vinny Pascantino and what he might be worth on a long-term deal, thinking that if you want to lock him up for seven years, it will probably cost you about $42 million at this point. He looked at some comps like Josh Bell, Freddie Freeman. Not a lot of first basemen get locked up to long-term deals, but those are some good ones. There's also been a couple that haven't worked out. Um, Seattle signed Evan White before he really got to the big leagues, and he hasn't really panned out. Uh, Phillies signed a top prospect named Jonathan Singleton. Uh, right when he got to the big leagues, and he didn't really pan out. Uh, with with Vinny Pascantino, a little bit different. He has played half a season in the big leagues. Jeremy, what do you think about locking uh, Vinny up to a seven-year, you know, maybe six, seven-year deal around forty million dollars? Would that be uh, something that'd be uh, worth doing for the Royals? I think that that would have to be a no-brainer for the Royals. Um, not just for uh, you know the the quality of play, which I think we all agree um, is very high. But also some of that intangible stuff you were talking about. Um, You want to make people excited about your team. And if you're not going to win games, then you got to have players that your team, your your fans can get excited about. And for a while, that was Whit Merrifield. Um, And right now, they don't have anyone like that, except for maybe Bobby Whit Jr. But Bobby... I didn't hear much from him during the season, and maybe that I was just living under a rock. I don't know. Um, I also don't live in Kansas City, so I don't get to see the commercials that y'all see. Um, but uh, it feels like Vinny is, is more out there and, and in front of people, um, which is something you want to see. And you want to see the team hold on to their homegrown stars. They're not going to go out and sign a Paul Goldschmidt in free agency or make a big splashy trade for somebody like that or, or anything. So if you're going to have superstars, they're going to have to come from your own, from within. And if you're going to keep them for any, for any length of time, it's going to have to be through uh, early-ish extensions where, you know, you, you're going to be able to get some kind of discount uh, in order for offering that, uh, the, the security of, you know, hey, you're getting paid. Uh, we're not going to cut you if you if you suck next year. Uh, you know you, you're not going to get cut and have to go find five hundred thousand somewhere else, maybe. Um, so, I, I whatever the deal is, seven for forty two seems like a pretty good deal for me. Um, would not even be close to the biggest deal the Royals have handed out. Um, and for because I, I, they gave the seventy million to Alex Gordon and the seventy million to uh, Ian Kennedy, but they didn't even get as many years from those guys. 
Um, and obviously those deals didn't work out for the team. I think that uh, a seven, uh, even an eight-year deal for Vinny, Vinny Pasquantino could work out. Um, just something about him makes me think, and, and this is be going completely off the rails probably, but something about him makes me think that he could, he could last uh, well into his 30s. Uh, whereas other guys tend to slow down. Um, uh, you know, batting eye is is forever. And Carlos Santana was 37 this year. Obviously, he struggled at times, but he had some he had some strong points. Uh, you know, so uh, who knows? Uh, I'm probably way over projecting at this point, but I, I would take as much Vinny Pasquantino as you can get me. Well, and even a seven year deal doesn't you know, only takes him up to age 31. So you'd still be getting most of his prime years as long as he doesn't, um, you know, kind of. If he, as long as he doesn't, you know, this isn't a fluke season from him, or he doesn't just kind of crater uh, after a season or two, I think, yeah, it seems like you wouldn't be out a lot of money. Um, that being said, he doesn't have a much defensive value. He's a first baseman DH uh, who probably will have to DH a lot just because we have Nick Prado already. Um, and, uh, but, you know, this is a team that's probably not going to spend a lot on free agency. And so you, you kind of want to see them investing in their own players. Matthew, how do you what do you come down on maybe locking up Vinny Pascantino? I know you wrote a piece uh, about maybe waiting a little bit to, to lock some of these players uh, up to long term deals. So does that apply to Vinny Pascantino as well? I think it could. Uh, the thing about extensions, right, is that um, they're basically a compromise on two ends. On the players' end, what they're doing is they're compromising total monetary uh, value, right? If um, Vinny is a is a star, and he um, basically you know goes through arbitration and he hits free agency. He's going to earn twenty to thirty million dollars um, just before he hits free agency. When he hits free agency, he'll be younger. Um, he'll be able to get a bigger deal, right? When you sign these kinds of contracts, you're giving up um, money. Depends on how much money. You know, he could be giving up tens, you know, millions of dollars in overall earning. Um, and when you have like one big chance to earn, uh, you know, a serious uh, paycheck like that, it, you know, it, you, you are giving up money. Uh, now, what you're getting in return, obviously, is guaranteed money. So if you go out and you, you know, you break your leg or, you know, if you're a pitcher, you have Tommy John and you're never the same, right? You get that, you know, that that sort of um, reliability. Um, so that's what you get out of it as a player. But you're definitely giving up overall earning potential for the team. Right. So what they are getting is they are getting a player. Basically, they're buying out free agency years at a lower rate than what they would have been able to do otherwise. Um, They're keeping a homegrown star around. In return, what they're doing is they are paying a player more than they would have had to otherwise. Right. If you think about this in an Eric Hosmer perspective, like it would have taken the Royals a lot of money to extend him. Um, and they would have paid him a lot more money than they did, um, you know, uh, in, in his world's tenure. So both sides are giving up something. And for an extension to work, it has to work for both sides, right? So there are a whole bunch of scenarios in which it might not work for one side or the other. And the thing is, teams don't have to offer it and players don't have to accept them. So it's not like there is some sort of like outside impetus for, for a deal to get done. And so they have to really, really make sense. And in the case of Vinny Pasquantino, I don't know if it makes sense right now. I mean, you already have him through, you know, his what age three season, his age, you know, so you already have him uh, for most of his productive years under team control, and he's going to get a lot of money out of it. Um, you know, everybody's happy in that scenario. He'll hit free agency. Um, you can even re-sign him in free agency if um, if you want to do that. But 
So, so he, he's almost in a situation where if I'm Vinny, I want to say, hey, maybe I want to prove myself another year. So let's say he goes out and he's Joey Votto next year and he makes the all-star game. He's one of the best hitters in the league. He's, you know, his earning, his extension cost or his price, you know, to sign it for an extension from his end just went up from $43 million to easily over $100 million um, for the same amount of years. And that's the sort of thing where I think Vinny and a couple of other Royals prospects are in this boat, right? So, yeah, the team would love to sign him for that much money. But I don't know if the players are right to go out and sign a deal for that much money. And especially in a case like Bobby Witt, who got, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but Bobby Witt got somewhere between like 6 and $8 million uh, from signing as the number two overall pick. Well, his dad's a millionaire. He he played, you know, a long time in Major League Baseball. So they've got money as a family. Um, he's not, you know, like this some some nobody um, or you know some somebody from a third world country whose family doesn't have any money. Maybe they're more likely to sign an extension. Salvador Perez is actually a good example of that. Um, you know, Bobby Witt. Uh, has you know he he's already in there even if he doesn't make any more money he's already earned millions of dollars so is it really you know in Bobby's best interests uh, to go out and sign a deal for you know less money like way less money than he could potentially earn through either free agency or if he proves himself you know so I think at the end of the day you know this extension talk like extensions are great I think that the benefits for both sides are really clear and you know players get guaranteed money teams get guaranteed costs and they buy out a couple of free agency years and it's not like they're giving money away in these free agency years you're still gonna you know spend 10 to 20 million dollars right per year on these extensions and free agency but the, the the problem is that the timing has to be right for an extension to happen, and I just don't think that the timing is right on the player side. I think the Royals would be happy to sign to lock them up, but I don't know if Vinny is would go out and sign for forty million dollars right now. Now after next year, maybe he goes out and he signs for eighty million dollars, and you know that's double the money, right? So I think it's just when you're thinking about extensions. Um, it's important to realize that the timing is really everything here. And historically, there just aren't a lot of guys who sign with the same amount of service time as the Royals players do for those timing reasons. It behooves them to play a little longer to see if they can command a greater extension value. Um, and if it, you know, if they don't sign the extension, like I said, they can hit free agency. So it's it's always tricky in terms of timing, but. Um, I would like to see Vinny for a long time. I just think that maybe waiting a year, yeah, the Royals are going to have to pay more, but they'll be more sure what they are. It would really stink to offer $40 million and to have Vinny regress towards a more league average bat. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Vinny stay here for a while too, but I think that's that's kind of my my issue with uh, long-term deals. Not that they're bad, but um, they get a little overrated, I think. He's going to be here for the next six years unless we trade him or he's non-tendered. Uh, no matter what, uh, he's under club control. Um, I'd like to see him get his money. I, I think if he continues to produce, I think you're right. He could get a very lucrative contract down the road. Um, but if you sign him to a long-term deal now, you're basically just buying the, – the advantage is you're buying out of your free agency, which, you know, that's him at age 30, uh, 31. Um, what kind of a hitter is he going to be by then? We don't know. Um, uh, certainly some guys are still good hitters, and I, I share – uh, you know, the optimism both of you guys, I think, expressed with that he may age well and have some good old man skills. 
Um, but we've also seen some guys kind of lose it. And like I said, he's a player that doesn't really bring anything to the table defensively. And we have an example of a guy that hit really well for one year and then and didn't provide anything defensively. Uh, the Royals locked him up to a long-term term deal, and, and that's Hunter Dozier. And now he's an albatross. Now, I think Vinny has a much better profile than Hunter Dozier, so perhaps that's unfair. Um, but that was a gamble in, in thinking that Dozier would continue to be a good hitter. And he wasn't, and when he, and he and he has nothing left to fall back on. At least Alex Gordon still provided Gold Glove caliber defense out there, even when he wasn't hitting. Um, now it wasn't worth you know the the large contract he was getting, but he was still giving you value enough to stay in the lineup. Uh, if Vinny doesn't hit, he's he should be sitting the bench, right? He's not he's not good enough to be playing. So to me, the, these long term deals don't provide enough benefit uh, to the t- to the clubs in my mind to be worth it. Uh, not, not there's exceptions to that. I think Brady Singer would be right for a long-term deal if he's open to it. Um, I think Bobby Wood Jr. is young enough and uh, and good enough to maybe warrant a long-term deal. But Vinny, you know, as much as I love him, as uh, much as I want to see him here long-term, I don't know if it makes much sense. Uh, so so we'll have to see. I, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, you know. Because I think, you know, if we're talking forty million dollars over six years, seven years. That's and he doesn't work out. I mean, that that's not that shouldn't be a, a franchise killer. Uh, but you do enough of those kind of deals, and it does start to add up to to real money. So um, I don't know, Jeremy. Have you anything else you wanted to add? No, I it just other. Uh, I the only thing I want to. I guess I do have one thing I wanted to add. Uh, if they trade Vinny Pasquatino. I will be super bummed. I hope that <laughs> whatever they do, he they they keep him around. Whether they give him the extension now or later, or even not at all. Like if they if they just are like, you know what, we need more pitching, and uh, we can trade away some of our hitting. And Vinny Pasquatino doesn't play defense, so we can part with him. That would really bum me out, and I hope they don't do that. Well, and that is kind of the flip side of like being transactional. We you know we talk about that all the time. Like you should, hey, the Royals should make more trades. They should you know be willing to trade players. It's like. You know these Ray, the Rays and the Guardians, they trade away un, po, they trade away popular players all the time, and it devastates the fan base. You know they, the, the the Guardians just traded Francisco Lindor, a beloved shortstop. They've traded a couple Cy Young winners, um, and and that that I think that has a factor in why those two teams kind of struggle to draw fans at times, even though those teams continue to win. Uh, and, and you know those trades worked out for the Guardians. Uh, but it does, you know, is it worth trading away a popular player who's a good player uh, to maintain like financial flexibility and get prospects back? Um, the Royals are going to have to decide how transactional they want to be. And maybe they don't want to go with full full board as Cleveland goes. Maybe they want to be kind of a halfway between that and what, what they were under Dayton Moore. We'll have to see. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk to David Lesky of Inside the Crown about the managerial search. Uh, and then we'll wrap things up with uh, Jeremy and Matthew. Well, I'm speaking now with David Lusky of Inside the Crown. David, how are you doing tonight? I am great. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, it's, it's been uh, a quiet offseason. I guess we shouldn't uh, expect too much in the first month. I mean, they stole the MLB postseason, but the Royals still don't have a manager. Uh, I know that the, the Phillies and Blue Jays brought back their interim managers. Angels did too. Uh, the Rangers have hired Bruce Bochy. The Marlins this week hired Skip Schumacher leaving the Royals and White Sox as the only teams right now without a manager. And I know that uh, some fans, maybe there's some uh, some urgency setting in, uh, maybe some panic. Uh, just uh, from your perspective, uh, you know, should we be 
worried at all that it's taking so long, or is this kind of the due diligence that J.J. Piccolo said he was going to do? Um, I think it's mostly due diligence. Uh, I, I feel like it's been a really odd year as far as fast hires. Does it seem that way to you? I'm, I, I, I was looking. I, I think the there's been a lot of years that there hadn't been a single hire by this date. And keep in mind, the season ended, what, the 5th? Is that right? October. So yeah. yeah. I, it just it seems like a lot of teams are acting faster. But like you said, I mean, there's three interim guys got their interim tags, tags removed. The Rangers went with Bruce Bochy, who I don't think anybody else was in on, which is a little bit weird maybe, but also the teams who are looking for managers, I guess it makes some sense. Um, I don't know. It just seems like an odd festival right now. And the thing that I keep thinking about, outlier or whatever, when the Rays hired Kevin Cash, he was the last manager hired in, like, December. So um, I'm not saying it's the way to go. I'm not saying that it's the best thing that you can do, but I don't think it it necessarily means doom and gloom, is, is I guess, what I'm getting at. And, and the, the reality is five teams have hired a manager and I don't think a single one has hired anybody the world's even interviewed. So it, it, it's not like they've lost any of their guys in this process. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm thinking of Dusty Baker. I mean, he was hired in January because the yeah. you know, their original uh, can't. You know, they had a. I guess they couldn't go with uh, AJ Hinger. They had to fire him. I guess. So uh, and, and now he's in the World Series. And Rob Thompson for the Phillies was an interim manager. So I don't. Yeah, I don't know that it matters so much that you need to jump on immediately uh and yeah like you say like the, the guys they've been looking at seem to still be out there and then and so what we got from from reports is that Rays bench coach Matt Quattraro and uh, Philly's third base coach uh, Dusty Wathen are the two external candidates uh they have interviewed so far there's been some uh, there was a report that they're also interested in Dodgers first base coach Clayton McCullough as far as I know I haven't seen any reports they've officially interviewed him or that he's on their radar yeah what's that I haven't seen that either, which is, it just seems kind of odd. He was the name that jumped out because it was, was it Morosi, I think, who mm-hmm. did it? Um, and then that's the last we've heard about it, which I, I've also heard that there's, I don't know why. I, I will never understand the need for this secrecy that they've had for <laughs> years, but they just, they really don't let it out. <laughs> I mean, they, it, it's a it's a pretty tight ship over there, and I would not be surprised. I've heard some people speculate, at least, that they have interviewed way more than has gotten out. So, it, it I think as far as top candidates, it's hard to hide that. But so I like I don't think they've necessarily interviewed Joe Espada, for example, because that has, we haven't heard that. Um, but it would not surprise me if there's like. A, bullpen catcher who got an interview that, that nobody even thought to look into that nobody knew about it it's just they're very quiet for whatever reason well yeah and especially these days when you know back in the day you had to fly into kansas city and sit down face to face now you can just do like a two-hour zoom call with someone i mean that's a great point yeah, yeah i mean people people are like oh you can't interview guys that are still in the postseason of course you can i mean uh, joe spot is taking interviews he can just sit down you know in between playoff games and and, and interview with someone uh, so I yeah, the it's changed. Thing is, maybe during the game. Yeah, that's right. So you know, you never know. Yeah, and it's also interesting. Like you know, like you said, I'm glad you raised a point about the you know they pro- they possibly have interviewed other candidates we just don't know about because they are they are pretty secret. I remember when they hired Mike Matheny. 
And I think I, I went in the mailbacks for like Jeffrey Flanagan. You know, he said like, there, yeah, there have been other external candidates they've talked to. And I was like, well, who? And he's like, you know what? Let me get back to you on that. And, and then we never heard. We just never heard about any other candidates. <laughs> I mean, because it was probably Mike Matheny all along. But, but you know, they did say, yeah, there's some other candidates. But we just never found out who they were. So that could be the case here as well. We'll have to see. But, you know, I've, I've Quattraro and Wath. And I mean, I think they both have pretty impressive resumes. Quattraro, of course, he's been with the, the Rays for the last couple of years before that with the Guardians overlapping with uh, owner John Sherman a little bit. D- uh, Dusty Wath and the Wath name, of course, well-known in Kansas City. His dad, John, managed the Royals and was a longtime catcher. Uh, Dusty grew up here in Kansas City, and he's been with the Phillies uh, since then as a, as a minor league manager and now as a coach. Uh, oh, those two, what do you kind of make of those two candidates? And at this point, do you think there's, there's maybe one that has a better chance of landing the job than the other? Yeah, I, I, I go back and forth because when, when the process first started, um, and even before that, I was told the Royals absolutely are enamored with Matt Quattraro. And I get it. They, they should be. <laughs> I think, I think he's, a, he's a great candidate for a number of reasons. I think he checks a lot of boxes. I think he's, he's got the experience. Um, he, he hasn't managed in a long time because he's been at the big league level for quite some time. But he managed in the minors um, before he became in the Rays system before he went to the Guardians and as I think he was assistant hitting coach at first. Um, and, and you know I, I think that that's true that they really like him. I also believe that Dusty Watson has maybe emerged as a slight favorite to me. I, like I said, I go back and if you ask me tomorrow, I might say it's Quattraro, but. Um, the, like the way I put it on Twitter a couple weeks ago, or I don't know, a couple of days ago at this point, honestly, is um, I think Dusty Watson's the favorite. I would take the field over him, but I think if you give me the field or Watson slash Quattraro, it's those two in a landslide. One of those two in a landslide. So I, I, I think that it's fairly close between the two of them, but I think it's one of the two of them are clear, clear frontrunners for this. Yeah, it's it's kind of nice to have those two as the frontrunners too. As they seem like two really good candidates, yeah. guys that that would be considered by a lot of different organizations as well. So it does seem like at least they're kind of honing in on the right guys and not just like the buddy of like you know JJ's buddy from like a George Mason or something like that or somebody <laughs> right. new along the line. He didn't, he's not hiring Dayton Moore's manager. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, we did well. Speaking of people that knew no, JJ Piccolo, they did interview uh, three internal candidates as well this week. Uh, bench coach Pedro Gafal, who's also interviewed with the jobs, uh, he didn't get the, didn't get the job in Miami, but he did interview with the Marlins. He's also interviewed with the White Sox, and supposedly they've been pretty impressed with him. Uh, the Royals also interviewed third base coach Vance Wilson, who was once a, a minor league manager in the system, as well as Omaha manager Scott Thorman. Uh, do you get the uh, feeling those are just courtesy calls, or are they seriously considering any of those guys uh, to be the next manager? I would guess courtesy, um, just based on you know some of the stuff that we've heard about how how they feel about the other external candidates. Um, you know, if you're interviewing Pedro Grafal at this point, and you and he's a serious candidate, he's probably your manager. I feel like because they interviewed him in 2019 when they hired the team. So I, I think that and maybe, maybe that's not fair, but I, I just feel like if, if, if he's really a candidate, then he's more than a candidate at this point. You know, yeah, it's not like, not like it's, it's, it's an entirely different front office, just a shifted front office from that time. Um, no, I could see if maybe JJ Piccolo said, look, I really want Peyton full and date more. So I want Mike Matheny and date more one because he was in charge. Maybe you bring your back in the fold, but I, I guess that, 
still goes back to my original point that if he's the candidate, he's the manager. Um, I wonder a little bit if some of these interviews are, hey, we want to make you look better to get maybe other interviews moving forward. But also, would you be willing to be a bench coach? <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I think that there's something on those lines. But yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, internal candidates too are always tricky. Um, not, I mean, in, in the world too, at jobs, it, it's just always a little weird with people who the interviewer already knows <laughs> stuff like that. So, um, I don't think they have a real, real shot, but I, I also wouldn't be surprised if any of the three of them are the bench coach with whoever they hire. And which will probably be a pretty important position since, uh, you know, the, yeah. the candidates they've looked at don't have major league managing experience. So, uh, they'll be relying on yeah, that I bench mean, coach. I, I think if you're looking at those at a um, inexperienced manager, you either want an experienced bench coach who's done it, or somebody who's familiar with the organization. And and I think any of those three fit. I know people hate Vance Wilson because of the decision <laughs> to third. And I mean, I think you and I are in lockstep on this. Though that doesn't impact how he can be as a manager. Right. <laughs> but um, I mean, think back to it. when he was. When he first got into the Royal system, I can't remember. When, do, you, do you know when that was? 2012 or so, somewhere around there, yeah. 12, yeah. Um, he was a really highly regarded managerial prospect. Um, I don't know if that's because he's a catcher. And they're, they're, people immediately think, well, he was a catcher, so he must be a good manager. But people really thought Vance Wilson was going to be a good big league manager. So I, I think he should probably be a more serious candidate somewhere. But... Uh, I don't think he is here. I, yeah, I, I, he fits. He fits what an, an experienced manager would need in that he's managed a bunch in the minors, but he also really knows the organization. I think that would that would be a nice uh, nice fit for whoever they hire. Yeah, I do know that uh, Paul Boyd, who covers the Naturals for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, he uh, he I guess he raved about Vance Wilson as a manager. Said he was yeah he's got you know managerial timber and should be a big league manager someday. So yeah, I don't I wouldn't put any stock about him as a third base coach. Um, you know, there's been, I'm sure, lots of third base coaches who maybe didn't do a great job there, but went on to become manager. Uh, but about yeah. you know, Grafal, uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, if he kind of, kind of feel like if he was going to get the job, he'd have gotten it by now. And I feel like if, if there was any other situation, he probably would have the job because he's a pretty good candidate. Obviously, the Marlins like him, the White yeah. Sox like him, but it, it seems like the Royals really need a clean break, and that's kind of what's been emphasized in the you know postseason. A, a press conference and so it seems like they just can't go with an internal candidate at this point but yeah i, I feel like if, if you would replace dayton more with any other executive from outside the organization you could promote pedro Grifol, but i don't think you can promote jj piccolo and pedro Grifol and say hey look we changed <laughs> so i, I just, and it, it, it stinks for Grifol. it really does that he might be the best candidate but it just doesn't work <laughs> setting so it's he's, he's not going to get the job and i i mean I, for the guy but you know it's just the reality of the situation i think i did want to talk about the other uh significant uh opening there was having that is pitching coach with cal elder getting fired i know you've written a little bit about some candidates maybe you'd like to see we haven't really heard any reports about who they would want to hire if they're gonna they probably i think i would guess they want to hire a manager first uh to get some input on who should be pitching coach but who, what are some names or what are you looking for as far as the next pitching coach so the, the one thing that I, I haven't heard as much lately, um, and that may be a good thing as far as um, things happening, but 
from what I heard back at the start of this is they were at least open to a scenario where they have a head of pitching and then a pitching coach. And that head of pitching would be over everything, minors, majors, all that, which would still keep Paul Gibson in place in the minors, just like J.J. Piccolo said. They'd still bring in a pitching coach, all that. And and the name that popped up is Brian Bannister. Um, he's, he's the obvious one. You know, it sounds like he's interested in coming back. Some of the Royals are interested in having him back. I think he's under contract, which might muddy some waters a little bit. So I think that's still a possibility. My question that I haven't been able to figure out is, would they do they want that structure, period, or do they want that structure with Brian Bannister? And it wouldn't be that structure with somebody else. So that, that I don't know about, but that that's an interesting thought. Um, but, I mean, truly, the, the name that I keep coming back to for pitching coach, um, well, the best name is Winston Doom because his name is Winston Doom. Uh, that's a really cool name. But the guy who I, I think makes the most sense is Connor Guinness, who's the Dodgers assistant pitching coach. Um, the, he founded this website. Um, I don't know about website. It might be a, more of a program that has a website called Clean Fuego. Um, I don't know if you looked at it at all, but basically it's a, it's a tool that helps pitchers with, with visual feedback um, that can help add or subtract spin on certain pitches and, and help fix their grips a little bit. And, and the reason I keep coming back to him is, is that athletic article that I can't get out of my freaking head <laughs> because it's, it, I, I keep thinking about that paragraph of them saying, if all these guys were in the, I think it was Dodgers, Rays, Guardians, or Brewers were the teams that were named, they'd be studs. Mm-hmm. And then I go on, to the part about how their fastballs are not good fastballs. Well, that can be taught in a lot of ways. And a lot of ways that bad fastballs become good fastballs are with spin (laughs) and grip. And if McGinnis is the guy who created a tool to help pitchers improve their spin and change their grips to get better spin, all this, it just seems like kind of the perfect fit for a guy like Daniel Lynch or Jackson Coar or Jonathan Easley, um, you know, not, not to go off on a tangent, we, we don't – Jonathan Easley has not shown me anything as far as, hey, he can be anything – he can be more than a swingman number five starter, which, whatever. Okay. But also at the same time, every so often you look at him and you go, boy, if he could throw that fastball up in the zone with some more spin like a lot of pitchers seem to have, Maybe he could be really good. And so you start to think about who can get that out of him. Well, Connor McGinnis seems like the guy who can get that out of him. So he, 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 he's a guy who, to me, makes a whole lot of sense. And there are other names. I mean, you, you can look. Um, you know, I, I think this is the guy you'd like, Max Weiner, because he sounds like, it sounds like your name <laughs> a little bit. So, so that would be perfect. It's, he's it's a like really young guy, too. He's like 20, 28 years old, I think. 28. 27. He'll turn 28 in December. Wow, yeah. So, um, he similar to McGinnis, he runs a thing called the Arm Farm, which is That's mentally cool and physical. <laughs> it's a really cool name. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- th- there there are a whole lot. There are a lot of guys out there. I also um, Cody Buckle, who is with the with the Guardians, he makes a lot of sense. Um, he's what is he there? To director of player development or assistant? He's, either way, he's, he's up there on there. Um, 
player development list. He, he's also young too. I think he's 30. Um, he is a lot of people I talked to said, yeah, if you want to talk about a communicator who understands like the, the, the nuts and the pitching, he's that guy. And so that, that makes a lot of sense. I think there are a lot of names out there and, and I mean, I, I could list 20 names and there are 120 more. So I think what's really interesting about the state of pitching in general in the world, not just baseball or the Royals or whatever, information is so readily available that anybody can become a like world-class pitching teacher. <laughs> I think it, it's not like it's easy. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that you know, anybody can just read a website for two days and be up there, but there is so much data and, and literature available that, I think we're in like a golden age of pitching instruction, which is what makes the Royal situation all the more frustrating <laughs> that they've dealt with for the last half decade or more. But there are just so many great candidates that I, I mean, they can go wrong, but it, it's, it's almost, if they're looking in the right places, it would almost be difficult to go wrong. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you talk about, you know, anyone can, can kind of learn this stuff and, and become kind of a guru. I mean, Weiner never pitched professionally. He pitched in college. Right. I think he said he topped out at like 80 miles an hour, but just was really fascinated by biomechanics and has accumulated all this information and, and has really learned from watching the game. And uh, and because of that, he's uh, become a you know coveted you know, pitching guru now that works for the Mariners. Um, so, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think you're, you're right. There's a lot of good names out there and kind of I, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a piece I think you wrote about pitching coaches. I, I've been looking into different uh, coaching staffs and what I've really found is that it's, it's, it's not one guy. Like like there are pitching right. coaches, assistant pitching coaches, pitching strategists, uh, directors of pitching development. There's there are so many so many people working on this and and I feel like with the Royals, you know, they had, they had Cal Eldred, but then they had and they had I guess Larry Carter, the bullpen coach was maybe had a hand in the pitching. And then you had Paul Gibson, who was working on the minor league side, but I don't know that they necessarily had the same kind of staff working on it uh, like these other teams. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, they all, look, they Jason Simontacci, who we know about, mm-hmm, yeah. he, he uh, um, <laughs> announced his departure before the Royals probably wanted him to. <laughs> but um, but they, they've had some guys too. It's, they clearly had the wrong guys, which I don't. My question, I, I don't know the answer to this. Maybe maybe you have an opinion. Um, I thought Cal Elder was wrong from the start. I was, look, I didn't know enough. I was going to say, hey, maybe I'm wrong. But, like, is, was Paul Gibson wrong from the start? Was Simon Tachi wrong from the start? Or did it just not work out? That, and so I think that's, that's the bigger question. Um, again, it goes back. It's about the process. It's not the results are the results, but did they have a good process going into it? If they did, try You have a good process enough, you're going to get good results. But if they didn't, then that that's, that's a problem, obviously, moving forward, and they need to change their process a little bit. So I, I don't know the answer to that, honestly. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I, there are a lot of great names. One other, real quick, I, I forgot that I had written about Brian Apple, who is um, with the Phillies, which I think is interesting with Dusty Wathen, is um, I thought his, his methodology was kind of interesting in the minors because he is a guy who is – anti-piggybacking he wants starters to start and pitch and and i think that's a little bit different than a lot of a lot of of what a lot of organizations are doing when you look at look at the the, the twins in the al central their starters go five innings (laughs) i don't know if you follow um brandon warren on Mm -hmm. twitter yep but i love 
love the responses because those the Twins fans they they hate it. I get it. I get why they hate it. I also get why the Twins do it. Um, but I, I'm curious about maybe some other methodology of hey maybe pitchers can be trained to go seven eight innings still and and Kaplan's a guy who I don't I don't think he does it to the detriment of their arms so I, I wouldn't worry too much about that but he, he's he's about building up stamina which I think is something that could be beneficial too and for the Royals really you want the, the the next big thing, right? You don't want to like be backward looking and say, "Oh, right. we want to do what the Rays did four years ago." No, you need to do what what is the, what the Rays are going to do two or three years from now, and we need to be the team that kind of gets everyone else to follow the leader. So if it's someone that is bucking the trend and zigging while other teams zag and getting more out of their starting pitching, I, yeah, I think that'd be a great direction to go in. So yeah, that that kind of intrigues me as well. And obviously, they're having a lot of success this October. Uh, just I'll yeah. throw I'll throw out a couple of names just because I've been writing about it too. Uh, so a couple names that intrigued me, uh, JP Martinez, Giants assistant pitching coach. So, you know, Brian Bannister, I think obviously would be pretty coveted as some role with the Royals, but if you can't get him, maybe Martinez might be the next best thing. He worked for the twins before that, who have had a pretty good, uh, an okay track record. I think developing some pitching. Um, he's also, uh, fluent in Spanish, which I think, I think could help a little bit. Um, Agreed. uh, Daniel Moscow is kind of interesting. He's, he's still pretty new to, to coaching, but, uh, he's worked with the Cubs, uh, his area of expertise is pitch design, which is exactly what J.J. Piccola says they want to add to the organization. So I don't know if you'd put him in charge of everything, but maybe, you know, have him working in, you know, in in uh, conjunction with someone else who, who works on uh, complements and maybe the biomechanic, biomechanic side that might work. Uh, Everett Tiford, former Royals pitcher. I think you've written about him yeah. a little bit in the past, uh, working with the White Sox. He believes a lot in high spin rate and, uh, with a fastball and has gotten that to work with a lot of White Sox minor leaguers. Uh, and then Chris Young, uh, not the Chris Young, the former Royals pitcher, but Chris Young, the, uh, C- uh, the Cubs bullpen coach who was the Phillies pitching coach uh, under the old regime. Uh, so, you know, you talk about Dusty Wath and you could see Brian Kaplan, who, has, who he has familiar with, familiarity with. But maybe it's Chris Young, who we worked with in Philadelphia. Um, uh, so, you know, there, like you said, there are a lot of good candidates out there. They just have to get the right one. Yeah. And, and my, my question on Young is, do they, do they realize it's not the Rangers G? <laughs> I, I just want to make sure. Or the Diamondbacks outfielder. Or the Diamondbacks outfielder. Or, oh, no, what was – oh, gosh. Now I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. And who was the pitcher – was it Anthony Young who lost all those games in a row? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the Cubs yeah, way back in the yeah, day. Anthony yeah, Young. That was, uh, Never mind. yeah. There's too many Youngs in baseball. Uh, real quick, uh, <laughs> you know, free agency will be here before we know. Right after the World Series, uh, the week after the World Series, while well, free agency. I know you wrote a little bit about some free agent pitchers that you think the Royals maybe could target. Obviously, not going to get the top tier, but maybe some some guys in the mid tier who might be more in the price range. You maybe just throw out a couple names that you think the the Royals maybe would benefit from pursuing. Yeah, I mean, there are a handful. Um, basically, I looked at anybody who didn't walk batters <laughs> because they, they had. I, I don't think they can justify signing somebody with a walk rate above league average. I just don't. Um, but I, I think the big name for me is Chris Bassett. I, I don't know if the Royals can get him. He's a little older. But he throws strikes. He gets some swings and misses. Um, he's a good pitcher. I, I, I would give him three years. I, I think uh, Jameson Tyon. I believe makes a lot of sense. It's funny if you if you watch if you listen to the Yankees fans, you would think that Tyon had like six and a half the area this year, and then you look at his numbers and you're like, he's pretty good. Am I am I missing something? And, and he did, he wore down a little bit down the stretch, but throw strikes, 
can give you some innings, not a lot of ton. I mean, he averages, I think, uh, 17 outs a start, which is above league average, not you know, not especially great or anything, but pretty solid. Um, and then I, I also, one name that keeps coming back to me and I keep thinking about because I think it works with the Royals roster is Ross Stripling. Um, had a really nice season for the Blue Jays. I don't think you can expect that again necessarily. But what I like, he doesn't walk guys, obviously, but he can start and relieve. And so if you get in a situation where you, you go into the season with, let's say it's Singer, obviously, let's say they resign Zach Greinke, because I, I think he's the obvious one who makes some sense. Um, let's say they resign Zach Greinke and go with Greinke and Stripling as the two veterans they sign. And then you've got Lynch and Bubik, whatever. It doesn't matter who, who wins that fifth starter job. And all of a sudden, you've got Jonathan Heasley, you know, really really thriving with who be Buckle or <laughs> Chris Young or whoever. And you say, we got to put him in the rotation. Well, Ross Stripling has moved to the bullpen before. He can do it. <laughs> it, it, it. It's something that I think people think is super easy but isn't always easy for every pitcher. But Stripling, you know, can do it. So I think he makes some sense because – if you need that flexibility, he can move easily. And I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in, in him um, just because I don't think he costs that much. And like I said, he can, he can do both, which I think the Royals could potentially find useful if, if things work out for their pitching development. Yeah, I feel like they're just going to need innings where they can find them. And so a guy that's versatile like yeah. that oh, yeah. would have a lot of uh, uh, use. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And then... And, and, you know, I kind of want to. When he got traded the the Blue Jays, I think they traded the Dodgers traded him for, for basically nothing, just because they had no roster yeah, space weird. for him. Uh, I thought it was like, at the time I was like, oh, the Royals probably should have been in on that. I mean, strictly, I think was having a bad year at the time, but um, I don't know. Those are kind of moves you, you really need to make at this point because uh, it ended up paying out pretty well for the the Blue Jays. Uh, real quick, Phillies or Astros? Who you got in the World Series? I want the Phillies, but I can't pick them <laughs> because the Astros are a lot better than them. But, look, the Cardinals are better than the Phillies, and the Phillies won. The Braves are better than the Phillies, and the Phillies won. I think the Padres were better than the Phillies. Uh, the Phillies played better, but I think the Padres were a better team. And the Phillies won. So, uh, we're getting into that short short series baseball, all that randomness. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Astros probably – he made me pin down a number of games. I would say six. But I could see it being five pretty easily. Um, and the Astros get that elusive lately second title and maybe, maybe put some rest to the, hey, they only won because of the trash cans. Um, do it five years later. And that, that gives some validity to you actually being a World Series champion. Um, but look, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's still even four. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think we can discount the possibility they're still using trash cans at this point. So I think at least well, a lot of fans still, still believe that. At least, uh, yeah. I don't. They're I got. Using, um, they're using simply using trash cans that are real quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's gonna be an. I think it's gonna be Astro sweep. I think they'll be. Has, has a team ever gone just swept through the postseason? I don't. No. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they have. No, so. the best is um, Yankees in '99 and White Sox in '05 were 11 and one. Oh, okay. So, so the Astros will become the first. So. No, I, I, I'll be cheering for the Phillies, but I think the Astros are just – they look so good you, right now. You think they're going to sweep? You think I'll, they're going to be the first? Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't see how the Phillies win a game. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm super excited about um, games one and two, though, 
Because, like, Verlander, Wheeler, and Valdez, Nola, those are some really fun pitching matchups. Yeah, and like you said, like, the Phillies have been beating teams that seem – and they've been punching them in the mouth, right, like, early in the game, and the other team has, yeah. has no response. So it's it's been kind of fun to watch. So, uh, yeah, I'm, full, I'm pulling for the Phillies. i got a lot of coworkers from Philly, so uh, definitely a fun team to watch. So, um uh, Dave Lusky, thanks so much for coming on. I should note this is your last month contributing to Royals Review. You, of course, still be writing your newsletter at Inside the Crown, but you got a baby on the way, so your time's a little more scarce, and I understand, but I, I did want to wish you good luck and fatherhood, and I want to thank you for contributing to Royals Review for, for these last couple of years. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you having me on the site. Um, you know, I've obviously been a Royals Review reader for, I don't even know, <laughs> however long you have to. <laughs> so... Um, no, it's been great to write for you and, and write with you. And um, I'm, I, I, I hope you'll have me on the podcast again because I love talking baseball with you. But, um, yeah, thanks well, for everything. Well, we'll absolutely have you on the show again, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be linked to your stuff. And we're all eager to, to read what you have to write about, what's sure to be an interesting off offseason uh, for the Royals. So thanks again for, ha- for being on. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. Okay, we're back, and uh, I did want to ask you guys too about the managerial search. We've got, you know, we've got a couple uh, candidates. I actually interviewed David uh, before the news was was confirmed that the Royals have interviewed uh, Dodgers first base base coach Clayton McCullough. So he's a finalist, as well as Matt Quattraro and Dusty Wathen of the Phillies. Uh, the Royals also interviewed three internal candidates in uh, Pedro Grafal. Uh, Scott Thorman and Vance Wilson. Uh, you guys, uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. Do you have any thoughts about any of the candidates and how, how the process has kind of played out so far? I mean, the process sort of makes sense to me. The Royals um, aren't a team where they have to jump on a guy, um, you know, where who's super experienced. Um, and there's there's a lot of different candidates that I think could be good uh, for the team. The, the biggest thing is that they need to get a guy who – can basically be a communication hub for all of the the you know advanced statistics and the scouting and the player relationship kind of kind of thing like he needs to be that communication hub that can sort of translate what's going on to the varying different parties and that's the biggest thing to me for a manager um, and I think I've seen you know we've seen a lot of a lot of teams just try to go out and emulate other clubs like like Cleveland, um, like Tampa Bay, these clubs that can develop pitching. But you've got to be able to synthesize it within your organization. You can't just slap um, a manager or slap a, uh, a pitching coach in and expect it to work. You've got to do more behind-the-scenes stuff to make sure that it's all integrated. Um, Kyle Body's had a lot of uh, good tweets about the subject matter, and you know it, it, it makes sense. It's complicated, right? So I think that the Royals could do well with a number of different managerial candidates, which I know isn't maybe the most sexy thing that you could say. Um, so I, I would be okay with a lot of different candidates. The one ca- caveat is that I really think the Royals do need to go out outside the organization and get some new talent because under Dayton Moore, the Royals have been very insular, especially since they've won the World Series. Um, and they've just been highly, you know, sort of uh, insular and 
haven't really gone outside to get new, you know, new ideas. I think it would be a different story actually if the Royals went out. Um, if if John Sherman has said, "Hey JJ, you're out as well. I'm going to bring in a new general manager." If the Royals brought in a new general manager, like brand new general manager, and then decided, you know, hey, maybe Pedro Grafal is is the guy. I think that would be a totally different story. But if you are going in house with your general manager and in house with your manager. I, I don't see how you can do that. I don't see how you can sell that uh, to anybody as progress, even if it might be a good fit. So I, I think they have to go outside the organization. That's that's exactly what David Lesky said. So I just want to make sure that the audience knows they didn't play drives off each other. That's just independent thinking right there. But yeah, I, I agree. I think you know under any other any under any other situation circumstance, like Pedro Grafal might be a fine candidate, but. They have to kind of go outside the organization at this point with a clean break. Uh, Jeremy, do you, what do you think about the crop of, of candidates they have? Is there anyone that sticks out in your mind, or um, uh, how, how do you think the process has played out so far? Uh, you know, Clayton McCullough sticks out in my mind just because he has the last name McCullough, and that reminds me of Andy, the former beat writer. And, man, it makes me wish the Royals signed him to be their manager. <laughs> I don't know if he'd be any good, but the, the post-game interviews would be on fire. Um, no no relation, though, by, by the way. But he he does have a – the Clayton McCullough has a da- – his dad is a, works for the Royals. He's a scout. So that's kind of oh, okay. one interesting tie. Uh, so so they probably didn't get them confused. That's good. <laughs> um I, uh, other than that, I just mostly agree with, with what's been said. The Royals have plenty of time to take their time. They're not in any hurry. They're not looking to, you know, sign a bunch of free agents and they got to have a manager ready to go. Um, and, and you're looking at a manager who kind of needs to be ready for a couple of different circumstances because the Royals are not probably going to compete in 2023, but you want them to be ready to compete relatively soon. So you're not going to sign a manager who's just going to be, Oh, here's our prospect development guy. And then when we're really ready to compete, we'll actually go out and get someone who's good at winning. Um, so you need a guy who's, who's going to be able to kind of grow with the team, but then also, uh, lead them to wins when it's time to win. Uh, and, and that can be a tricky uh, a needle to thread. So they're they're going to have to figure that out. And, and I'm perfectly okay with them taking their time and making sure that they get that right, whoever that is. Yeah, it's an important decision. And, and J.J. Piccolo, frankly, may not get a chance to hire a second manager. So, yeah, take your time, get it right, and, and we'll have to see. I, I imagine in the next week we'll know who the next skipper is, if not by the end of this week. So... We'll see. Uh, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Matthew, why don't you? Uh, you were gone last week, so you want you lead it off for us this week. Sure thing. So um, I uh, played the video game Returnal um, on my PlayStation Five um, recently. Um, I, I'm sort of working through some of the games that I couldn't or didn't really want to play last year on a PS4, and I'm pretty sure the Returnal is a PS5 exclusive. I know Horizon Forbidden West was technically on PS4, but I didn't want to do that. Um, I wanted to play it on PS5, so I, you know, uh, I got my PS5 for that purpose. Um, and Returnal is one of those games that, you know, makes really great use of the PS5. Um, so the Returnal is basically like a combination of it's like Metroid Prime by the way of Control and Hades. So it's technically like a roguelike where you have like a quote unquote run where you go through. Um, and if you die, you go back to the beginning, you lose um, your stuff. So like a lot of roguelikes, it has, um, 
you know, these these types of consistent or persistent, shall I say, um, currencies that exist even after, you, you know, you die and you come back, you still have the, the same currency. Um, and it has some of the like currency that's only available for each particular run and that you can sort of exchange one for the other. Um, so Returnal is really, really good. Uh, my one problem with Returnal is that it's really, really hard and that a run can take a long time. So you can be playing for an hour and a half, two hours, and then, you know, you die, you lose all this progress, and you have to go back. And it, it puts, um, you know, it, it's a really fun game, uh, but I don't think I was prepared to, like, play it, like, as long as I really wanted or, you know, needed to. I had, you know, I, I advanced, I think, pretty quickly. Um, but the the thing is, it's, it's, it's quite hard. And um, if that's up your alley, and it is for me sometimes... Um, then it is exactly, you know, a, a really good game. And, you know, like I said, like Metroid Prime, by the way, of Control. So it has some of those, you know, sort of like story beats of control of, you know, this just the solo female protagonist and this just like very weird stuff happening. Um, and the sort of kind of classic 3D, you know, Metroid Prime kind of, you know, stuff. So um, that's, that's a... Uh, so, so overall, I'm a little split on it, but I would recommend it. It's definitely worth trying to see if it's it's up your alley. It was up my alley for a long time until it suddenly wasn't, and I was like, I, I, I can't do it. I can't deal with this anymore. I can't die and lose three hours of progress. Like, it's too much pressure. So um, it's, a, it's a very good game, and I would recommend trying it out. Jeremy, what do you have for us this week? Uh, this week, I was going to go into some older anime but then i just really hit a stride with uh, lost judgment which is the video game i've been playing on my ps5 uh it is uh, a spin-off it's actually a sequel to a spin-off of the yakuza series uh that follows a private detective uh set in the same city as the yakuza series uh kamurocho which is kind of the red light district of tokyo um and is modeled on the the real deal uh, I I can't remember if the real the real thing is called Kamarocho, but like the there's a this giant arch that's kind of iconic, uh, this red arch that's iconic as you enter the area, um, that that's in both games and and if you go to the real area of Tokyo, like stuff looks very similar. Obviously businesses are different, but the the streets are laid out the same, all that good stuff. Um, and so this one is as I said, a sequel to the spinoff and it's again about this private detective. Uh, and he's actually investigating a school bullying case, which has turned into, uh, a murder case as, as school bullies who were, uh, causing kids to, uh, commit suicide, uh, were, um, were being hunted down by, uh, some vigilantes. Uh, and it's, it's very complex. It's, it's actually quite dark, uh, even for Yakuza, Yakuza doesn't usually get quite this dark, uh, but it is uh, it's very interesting. The story has had me kind of on the edge of my seat in a way that even I love every Yakuza game I've played, um, but this one has me on the edge of my seat in a way that none of the others have. And uh, the side content is somehow even better than before and and even more extensive. I, I just can't say enough about it. This might end up being my favorite Yakuza game, despite, again, being a sequel of a spinoff. Uh, and and I, I highly recommend it if you're looking for a good action RPG. 
Uh, well, my Royals review review this week is is I just wanted to say I liked the coverage of the playoffs on TBS and Fox and Fox Sports One. Uh, the broadcast teams were generally pretty good. Uh, I like uh, Ron Darling quite a bit. Uh, I think he did a terrific job. Jeff Francoeur, old friend, uh, Frenchie was terrific as an analyst. Although I did have to laugh. At one point, he was uh, chiding a batter for not being patient enough at the plate. Which, if you remember Jeff Francoeur's career, <laughs> he did not see a pitch. He did not. He did not have a pitch. He would. He did not want to swing at. So, uh, Takes but he. One to know. <laughs> yeah, those who, who those who don't uh, do, I guess, broadcast. But uh, yeah, they had some great teams. I think uh, Joe Davis, who will be replacing Joe Buck on the World Series call on Fox. Uh, he's he's really terrific. Um, I hope people give him a chance uh, on and. and uh, you know, I think the hate for Joe Buck did get a little, uh, you know, exaggerated. Uh, but that being said, he had been there forever, and I was just kind of, frankly, kind of tired of hearing him all the time, especially since I hear him do NFL games a lot too. Uh, so it's just nice to get some fresh blood uh, in the broadcast booth. I kind of think uh, that should happen from, you know, I, some 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 broadcasters or institutions, but a lot of them I think probably should be re- recycled on a regular basis. But anyway, it's nice to see the a fresh crop of broadcasters. Uh, Kevin Burkhardt does a really good job. Uh, Adam Amin does a really terrific job as well. Um, and so uh, I just want to applaud the coverage. I think the, the the coverage is great. I was really engrossed in the playoffs like in a way that I haven't really been since the, really the Royals were in it. So um, kudos to the broadcast for a terrific job. Uh, speaking of the playoffs. Who do you guys have for the World Series? Phillies versus Astros. Uh, Matthew, you want to give your prediction? Uh, it, I mean, probably the Astros. I feel like you know the the Phillies have done very well, but you know, hey, the 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 Phillies are kind of they're the hot team, right? They're the hot underdog team, um, and sometimes that's that's enough uh, to you know topple Goliath, as it were. But I, I I'm going with the Astros. I don't see how you could not go with the Astros. Jeremy, I'm gonna go with the Phillies uh, just because uh, I want to manifest my dreams. Something <laughs> other than the Astros, uh, you know, Reese Hoskins and uh, and Harper over there, Bryce Harper. They got a really exciting team, um, and I'm as tired as you are of Joe Buck. I'm tired of Jose Altuve. And I, did Jordan Alvarez play before this year? I think. He's not been around for very long, but I'm already tired of him too. So he's just so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's he wasn't part of the last championship team, but um, yeah, he's pretty he's pretty good. I I I told us I think it's going to be Astros, and I think it's going to be a sweep. I think the the first team to go undefeated in the postseason. But uh, the Phillies have been surprising people, so they're definitely the the team I think everyone's rooting for. So uh, we'll have to see. But uh, uh, thank you too for coming on tonight. Uh, also, thank you to David Lesky for uh, joining us. Uh, Thanks to our listeners for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next time.